Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Sarah Collins, Assistant Editor at Prospect, and today I'm delighted to be joined by the Prospect team to discuss what has surprised them in this strange year and what they predict might happen in the next one, plus their top picks from Prospect's journalism in 2023. So I'm delighted to be joined this afternoon by David McAllister, who is Prospect's production and associate editor. David, what was your favourite Prospect article from the last year and why? I think it was quite a hard choice, but I think uh, the one that stuck with me most was Priya Gopal and the humanities. Yeah, I think we talk a lot about you know the humanities in crisis or need to be defended or uh, whatever. So you can you can feel a little bit jaded or weary from that whole discussion, but I think. What Gopal manages to do is really reinvigorate that argument and just reiterate how important the humanities are and while demolishing some, you know, perceived wisdom about STEM graduates supposedly making more money or having better job prospects than humanities, which is apparently not true. And also just underscoring that education is not necessarily about private property, it's about public enrichment. So yeah, it was a very welcome intervention to debate that's maybe gotten a bit tired or run out of steam maybe in the past few years. And what event political or cultural surprised you this year? Um, I think in many ways it was probably the Tate Modern show of Philip Guston, which for context, this this has been a, a show that's been a long time coming and you know Guston was mid-century abstract expressionist who went back into more figurative work later on in life. Notably, he drew a lot of pictures of the Ku Klux Klan that were obviously controversial in their own time, but even today they remain so uh, and people question about, you know, did he have any right to do this or whatever? The show was originally scheduled for 2020, but was delayed because of the Black Lives Matter movement. And there's a lot of questions about, oh, well, should we? is it appropriate to stage this kind of work and so on and so forth. So I kind of went into the show wondering if the curators would be able to handle this controversy. I think that actually did really well. And I think the show's actually really worth seeing and probably one of the best of the year. And just reiterates that Gusson wasn't drawing these pictures out of some sort of um, idolization of the Ku Klux Klan. It was very much a satirical take and, you know, there's a freshness to the work that you can still see, which just underlines that we should be having shows like this and we shouldn't be shying away from these sort of topics. So I think that was very, yeah, that was very well done by the team. And what do you predict will happen in 2024 that will surprise people? So the past few years have done this, I've not had a very good track record of predicting anything useful. <laughs> so that's What did you predict last year? Oh God, I, I, I predicted that support for Scottish independence will go up to 60% and <laughs> I think the complete opposite has happened. So... Yeah, so with that in mind, I think 
this is only something that's come into my mind the past few days, but you know, this year has all been about artificial intelligence and we've all been shocked or scared or whatever, or in awe of how fast things have changed and how advanced it's getting and all that stuff. But I think the one thing we haven't talked about is advances in robotics. And I think in the next year, while everyone's looking at AI and thinking about AI as we rightfully should be, I think there's going to be a lot of things in the world of robotics, in particular humanoid robotics, that will advance a lot as well. And who knows, maybe by the end of the year we'll have androids walking about. But again, maybe I should say we're going to have flying cars as well for all I know. (laughs) Great. Well, at least that's not too much of a doomsday prediction. Thank you so much for joining us, David. So I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Alex Dean, who is Managing Editor at Prospect. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Alex, what was your favourite Prospect article from the last year and why? I've chosen Bill Keller's piece on the English prison system. So Bill was editor of the New York Times for the best part of a decade. And then kind of late in his career, he became an expert in the US prison system. And he now is editor of something called The Marshall Project, which is looks to use investigative journalism to uh, shed a light on the failings of US mass incarceration. So he's well qualified to make the comparison with the English system. So we sent him round four or five institutions. The first thing he found was that actually, I mean, the US is famous for its dis- the dysfunction in its prisons um, and the UK not so much. But Bill found that actually we're heading in the wrong direction and we're showing some alarming signs of American-style dysfunction, basically. The reason I particularly liked it, I think, was that you associate someone like Bill with, you know, he's, he's so experienced. You think you go to watch him give a speech or something and then maybe you republish the text of the speech. But the piece was the kind of thing you expect from a hungry young reporter. So I was really impressed that he put in that hard reporters graft and yeah. you kind of still had that instinct and it doesn't leave you and it hadn't left him and then I just think the subject is incredibly morally important I think it's morally urgent yeah I absolutely loved that piece as well although it was quite depressing to hear how low we stooped in the UK with our prison system a slightly more difficult question what event political or cultural has surprised you this year I'm going with Steve Baker the self-styled Brexit hard man um saying that the Brexit referendum should have required a supermajority. First of all, it was literally surprising. So I heard it and I thought, crikey, that, I really didn't expect that. But it was also kind of emotionally <laughs> shocking, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it's interesting to think about what was going on there. Um, I mean, he, he also apologised to Ireland for the way they'd been treated and that the UK government hadn't maybe given enough attention to Ireland's legitimate interest during the negotiations. He'd already apologised for that. Um, wonder if that's someone's wrestling with their conscience uh, maybe a bit you have to ask him but yeah I thought that that I saw the reports of that I thought that's that's such a change of position because of course Brexit couldn't have happened if there was a super majority it, we never would have left yeah so that's that was my big shocker that also makes me think of another surprising thing that happened this year which was Christian and Guru Murphy accidentally having his microphone yeah that's on. a good that, <laughs> yeah 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 that was unbelievable we're calling Steve Baker. Not very nice word. Um, and our final question, which is the hardest, what do you predict will happen in 2024 that will surprise people? I think there'll be maybe a slight cooling of the AI hype. So ChatGPT, the generative AI program, 
was launched to huge fanfare and instantly, I think it was like the fastest use, take up of use of any program ever, I think I read. And I mean, you, you could see the adrenaline sort of coursing through the markets at the power of this new technology. And, and then there was the, so many pieces written about it and commentary about what it means in this new age of AI. Um, I largely buy that, that it was a big deal and that it is a big deal. But I think that technology and trends in technology don't happen like we expect much of the time. And it's quite rare, actually, for something to keep up that momentum. So there's that famous quote that we wanted flying cars and we got 140 characters, which is a reference to Twitter, which now is obviously 280 or something, or however much it is. And the point of that saying is that you can't quite predict and it, it can evolve in ways that you don't anticipate. So I think, I mean, the fact that AI makes stuff up at random is a shortcoming. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty big shortcoming. And there's, there are, I mean, we're thinking about it at Prospect and in a very careful way, we're thinking about use cases. And there are lots of things that so much oversight and care you need on checking things because of its propensity to call it hallucinate, to hallucinate facts and figures. Um, and even footnotes at the bottom of what it's cited. So uh, that's quite a roadblock on immediate mass rollout, purpose rollout. Um, so that's my prediction. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Thanks, Sarah. It's great to be joined by Ellen Halliday, who is Deputy Editor at Prospect and host of the Prospect Podcast. Ellen, how are you this afternoon? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Sarah. It's good to be on the other side of the table yeah. this time around. <laughs> I'm normally producing for Ellen, so it's fun to be interviewing her. Ellen, what was your favourite prospect article from the last year and why? So I always find this question really hard because there are several that are like for different reasons. So I'm going to give you a main one and sneak in a bonus. <gasps> um, okay, that is that is playing with the rules. Yeah. But as your deputy editor, fine, yeah. I can't stop you. But don't tell anyone else I've let you. So... Okay, so the first one is a really meaty piece that we did. Our April cover was a piece by David Normington about migration. Uh, David Normington was permanent secretary at the Home Office from 2006 to 2010. We basically asked him to write a piece that brought his experience of solving a backlog in asylum cases when he was there at the Home Office to basically help us understand the challenge the government faces now that there's a huge now again there's a huge silence this focus on small boats and he brought a really kind of cool calm evidence-based approach to talk about why the small boats themselves have become unnecessarily the focus like they're not the main issue that the government has in terms of getting the migration numbers down and getting that backlog down so that people are processed um, and their cases are kind of seen through. So it was just a very informative piece, a solid framework that I've thought about throughout the year. And I mean, as we head into the new year, we're still talking about people arriving in the UK by small boats. And we're also not talking enough about the human implications of that. So we had David's piece, May Bullman came on this podcast as well earlier in the year and spoke about some of the human stories, like the impact that this backlog has on people seeking asylum in this country. So I just highly recommend people revisit it basically as this conversation about Rwanda, conversation about small boats drags on because he he spoke from experience and it's very measured and thought provoking in a good way. So that's my main one. But my second sneaky one 
basically, I have absolutely loved the Clerical Life column this year, written by Alice Goodman. And in particular, I want to direct people to this piece that she wrote about abuses of power and people in the church and the kind of sense of shame and responsibility that the clergy feel about the failings of this institution that they're part of. She's just writing like very lyrically with great feeling and it's very moving. So yeah, I fully recommend people go and read Alice Goodman's Clerical Life column. I completely agree with that, to the extent that not only have you cheated on the rules by having two, you've also taken an option that I would have liked to no. have done as my favourite away from me, which is only to say how fantastic Alice's article is. The next question, what event, either political or cultural, has surprised you this year? So maybe we should conceptualise it as a non-event in a way. I probably spend too much time on social media and I think I'm, I have been surprised by the fact that most of that time is probably still spent on what is now X, what was Twitter. At the beginning of this year, I would not have expected that by December I'd have downloaded several different apps for different social media platforms, tried them out, but still ended up going back to X as I think many people in politics, the media, journalism have. It's, X has remained sort of sticky or we're stuck on it, even though it's full of disinformation, even though it's harder to find the information that you do want and you can trust what you find on there less. Somehow we haven't escaped yet. And I think that's the grip that X has on us is has kind of surprised me. Yeah, I guess it's really revealed the network effect and how important that is for all those upstart platforms that have tried to come in and take away from X. It's so difficult when the the very thing that makes it attractive is that everyone you know is already on it and for them to get enough numbers to really pose the challenger is difficult I think. Yeah like what will the tipping point be where another platform has enough members or enough of as you say maybe the right group of members yeah so anyway we're still there let's see if we're still there this time next year. (laughs) And what do you predict will happen in 2024 that will surprise people? So I think it's going to be a bad year for UK universities. This year was also a bad year for UK universities. You know, there were strikes for a lot of the year. So it's it's been difficult for students. It's been difficult for staff. But the higher education sector is really in in a kind of financial crisis at the moment. It's a huge part of the UK economy. It's worth billions of pounds of the UK economy. But many universities have reported deficit at the end of the last financial year. They're still reeling from some COVID challenges, but it's also been more than a decade since student fees went up and universities are talking about basically that squeeze. They're not able to, or rather, sorry, it would be politically impossible for a government to raise student fees again. But universities are making a lot, a lot of their undergraduate courses. They're therefore very reliant on foreign students and expensive master's programmes. But with the government's approach to visas, the number of international students coming in, you know, could could be restricted. There also is a huge proportion of students from Asia and from China. So universities are kind of at risk from geopolitical shocks as well. And yeah, actually, just before I came on here, I saw that the Sheffield Tribune, which is one of you know, Sheffield's main papers, has reported that Sheffield Hallam is offering, wait, let me get this right, all staff. Sheffield Hallam is offering all academic staff voluntary severance. That's just been reported today. So an email sent to 4,000 academic staff. So that just shows the the very real challenges facing universities. And I think for a long time, people would have thought 
a university couldn't go bust, but heading into 2024, it seems now plausible that a UK university could go bust. So maybe, unfortunately, that could be something that happens next year. Well, that really is a depressing one, but um, really interesting nonetheless. Thank you so much, Ellen, for coming on today. Thanks, Sarah. I am so excited to be joined by Danielle Han. One of the reasons I'm so excited is because Danielle hasn't been on one of our podcasts before because she's one of our newer members of staff. She's our incredible social media journalist. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. So, Danny, what was your favourite prospect article from the last year and why? So I chose Rasheen Lanigan's Cool Girl article, but also I think all of Rasheen Lanigan's articles this year have been really fun to make social media posts about first and foremost. But also, I think they've really been able to kind of take these ideas that kind of float around in my head and really apply them and like almost intellectualize them. So I've really enjoyed reading every single one. Um, So even her Sally Rooney one, I think I joined in on the Sally Rooney hype of um, normal people and all of that stuff. And honestly, when I was reading through, it felt really refreshing to just have a take that's like, okay to like Sally Rooney and also it's about class it's not about a love and all of that stuff so honestly I really like a lot of the articles that Rasheen Lanigan has put out this year and what's the cool girl one about so the cool girl one basically takes apart the Amy Dunn monologue from Gone Girl I think it's Amy Dunn but basically it's also a monologue that I've always come to love and obviously it's kind of voiced by this psychopathic woman who's faked her death and she's just ranting (coughs) about the patriarchy she's ranting about feminism she's ranting about this and that but it's almost been taken by gen z and a lot of feminists today as this like ode to like what is it take down men and things but it's also kind of a really valid critique of the way women are perceived today and i think um rasheen really hits the nail on the head hits the head on the nail hits the nail on the head head with really how it's about rage and it's about um anger but at the end of the day um, we've almost repurposed it to be an insult towards women even though the original one the original monologue was never about that and it was satire but guess what like it's come full circle so i think she's been really good at just like taking these popular culture things and kind of taking a step back and being like, wait a moment, why are we talking about this the way we're talking about it? Amazing. I haven't read that one, so I'm going to have to now. <laughs> what event, political or cultural, surprised you this year? Oh my God. Okay, so I've been thinking all day about how to answer this, but I think this is probably the most recent, so maybe it like it's hits the hardest right now. But I think like the Gen Z Osam- Osama Bin Laden thing has been crazy for me. And it's kind of been rolling around in my thoughts lately. So obviously I'm American Mm -hmm. and having grown up in New Jersey, I think like I was really taught about pretty much everything. And I grew up with like kind of the trauma of 9-11 and things. And it's really weird to consider that we've hit a point where people don't remember it or like one, don't remember it. And two, kind of are taking a different angle on it and like repurposing this event into some kind of like liberation movement, which I don't think is right. I mean, I read the original letter and this is in no way like an endorsement of Osama bin Laden or his ideas. It is insane to think that, I mean, there's been a lot of times where like kind of heinous historical figures have been, their ideas have been taken and for some reason rung true with something going on at that moment. So I feel like 
there's something to be said about it. I don't know what there is to be said. I don't think I agree with it, but I think that was like probably the most shocking was mm. realizing like, oh my God, I'm getting kind of old to the <laughs> point that like I grew up with the kind of horrors of this event, but now we're at a point where, you know, something that people have analyzed completely differently than how I grew up with it. What do you predict will happen in 2024 that will surprise people? Okay, so I did talk to you about this earlier. I really hate what ifs with, with history and future. I don't like speculative history. Well, you gotta do and it like, anyway. I know. So, okay, I did see recently something about the 80-year theory, which I feel like this is also a super American answer mm-hmm. for me. But there is this, like, Strauss-Howe. Strauss how I'm definitely butchering that. It's a theory that basically every 80 years we find ourselves in the crux of a new like social world order. Again, super American, but I think if we go 80 years back, it's like either the embers of World War II or something that had really just happened, shaken up the world. Another 80 years, be- oh, I'm going to sound mm-hmm. so bad at my math, but basically at one point within the 80-year theory was also civil war for the US, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think that this year it's not that something's going to happen but I think it's going to definitely be formative in like how we look at it going forward whether that's around AI or around how social movements are treated like I definitely do think that this is this year we're going to see a lot about how democracies are connected to social movements and I think there's going to be a lot of social movements that really challenge the limits of democracy and seeing like how many governments are really allowing people the freedom of movement the freedom of organization stuff like that thanks so much for joining us Danny. and now i'm delighted to be joined by our editor alan rusbridger and host of the media confidential podcast which you should also check out if you're listening to this one alan what was your favorite prospect article from last year and why that's so hard i mean there are dozens all brilliant. But I'm going to choose Jonathan Powell's piece right at the beginning of the year about how the war in Ukraine is going to end. Jonathan Powell was the negotiator for the Good Friday Agreement with Tony Blair and has a lot of experience of negotiating the end of conflicts. And he began his piece by saying, look, this is not going to happen anytime soon, but eventually this is what they will end up talking about. And I liked it because that's kind of what Prospect should be doing. You can look over the horizon, you can have a very long timescale and say, this is what we will be talking about, and this is how to think about it. And, you know, only this week there have been, I mean, there was a piece in The Spectator this week saying, this is what they're going to have to talk about. And I, I think that's classic Prospect territory, that, that you can get really clever and experienced people who aim slightly off the news agenda and say, you know, and, and in some length and detail explain what has to happen. I would be very surprised if that piece wasn't marked, cut out, kept by people in the Foreign Office for, to help the British government think about their options in the years and months to come. That is a powerful, powerful impact for a piece. What event, political or cultural, surprised you this year? I think it's quite surprising to me that the we're speaking in the whatever it is, the second week of December, that the Tory party is continuing to implode. <laughs> you thought 2022 with Johnson and with Truss and with Sunak would be rock bottom. And yet the, the Tory party is, as we speak, fragmenting into four, five, six different parties 
and it seems to have some kind of death wish and just can't get itself together. That under who looked, I think, better at the beginning of the year than he does at the end of the year, there, there would have been some element of recovery, but it, it just seems that it's a party that's now beyond any kind of help and the sooner they're put out of their misery, as I think will happen at the next election, uh, the better. What do you predict will happen in 2024 that will surprise people? Well, this this is a slightly wild prediction. Guess, I think, rather than a prediction. But I, I think it's possible that neither Biden nor Trump will end up being candidates mm. at the next American election. I mean, it's clear the American public really doesn't want that choice. Yeah. They're both very, very old, They're neither in the, in the prime of their health. Uh, Trump is flirting with ending up in prison. Biden has been quoted saying if it, if it wasn't Trump for, for wanting to fight Trump, Trump is not sure he would be a candidate himself. And it, I think it's possible to, to imagine that either the Democrats blink and think, oh, oh no, we're going to lose if we carry on with Biden, and that Biden is persuaded to stand down, in which case I think the Republicans think, well, why have we got Trump? Or the other happens, that that something happens on the legal front where Trump is forced to stand down and then the Democrats think, well, if it's not Trump, why have we still got Biden as a candidate? I think it's unlikely, but I think it's possible. Wow, that would be a turnout for the books, Alan. Thank you. You read it here first. But now, Sarah... You've been um, grilling everyone else. I'm going to grill you. So you now have to tell me your favourite piece of 2023. So my favourite piece is a shorter piece. Obviously, there's an unbelievable array of content from Prospect this year. Some incredible long reads, like the one that you mentioned by Jonathan Powell, that are really agenda setting. But I think my absolute favourite piece was just a beautiful little portrait in the people section at the front of the magazine, which is actually by the editor of that section, Emily Lawford, where she profiled Steve Bray, who is a anti-Brexit protester who you might have seen on TV, who wears some fantastic hats. He's the noisy one outside the House of Commons. I saw him today, yeah. Yeah, he's always there. He's relentlessly shows up to say what he thinks and Emily just had such an interesting time because while she was talking to Steve various other characters who were part of his movement were there and then there was also someone who was a far-right protester who came and filmed her and then there was a bit of conflict between all of them and it's just a really rich portrait of a group of particularly unusual activists that was done very generously and was a slightly different slant on the political That's a, that's a very left field but very good choice. Okay, so now I've got you on the spot. I'm going to keep you on the spot and I'm going to ask you what most surprised you during the past year. Maybe I was naive, but I've been extremely surprised by the Rwanda policy and the fact that that's been continued to be pursued before I went into journalism. I studied law and the principles of the Human Rights Act and of the ECHR and the non-refoulement principle of not sending people back or sending people to places they were in danger just felt like such an established principle and to have a Home Secretary kind of suggesting that the very foundational principle of the Refugee Convention, which goes back more than 50 years, challenging that I did find really shocking and even more so that the government are going to try and pursue this knowing that the courts have said that it's unlawful and I know that's a live story with updates happening all the time but even to where we are now 
I'm shocked because it feels like our constitution and our democracy and basic separation of powers feels under threat in a way. And it, it was last year with Partygate. It has been increasingly eroded over time, but it's really felt like the nail in the coffin for me this year. I think you're right to be surprised by that. And finally, a prediction. What's going to happen next year? My prediction's not necessarily optimistic or pessimistic, depending on your perspective. I think it is maybe optimistic. I think that young people have had enough. I think young people have had such a raw deal, generationally and also in terms of the climate. And I think that in recent months, particularly with the conflict in Gaza, we're seeing an increasing kind of politicisation of young people who are not only very active on social media, but they have been more on the streets protesting. And I think that there's only so long that you can have this kind of generational inequality and this sense of a generation that has no prospect of a better future, no prospect of even having a similar kind of future to that that their parents had. So I think we might start to see bigger youth movements. I think that would be fantastically optimistic. I can't see the downside of that. So um, let's hope. Thank you for those choices. I'm now joined by our tech whiz, Head of Digital, Chris Tilbury. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. That's okay. It's no problem. So, Chris, what was your favourite prospect article from the last year? I'm going to pick a really recent one. And it's from the January, February 2024 issue. And it's from Pete's culture section. And it's the piece that Scott Jordan Harris wrote about action heroes and action movies from the 1980s. I don't know what, it just really resonated with me a little bit. I think it's something that we don't, it's not a very, I guess, prospecty subject, action heroes and like 80, 80s action films. So it was quite refreshing, I think, to see Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and Sylvester Stallone and everything mentioned in Prospects. I think it was it was really good, really good. Great. And what event, political or cultural, surprised you this year? Oh, this might be really tenuous as a cultural I've got a couple but all of them are kind of tenuously cultural they're actually all sports related which again not not something that we do do massively in prospect number one Manchester City winning the treble I mean they are a very good team but I don't think anybody really had them down to win a treble and, and kind of emulate Manchester United of the late 90s I think Red Bull's dominance in Formula One I think everybody was probably expecting another team to to play a, a bigger part in the season and it, it got a bit boring. Don't don't send the hate my way, but it was a bit boring. And I think the third one would be from the Ashes when Lord's members really kind of kicked off at the Australia team after Johnny Burstow was quite controversially stumped or, or run out. Yeah, all three of those I think I was I'm you know, a big big sort of sports fan but yeah all three of them kind of yeah surprised me a little bit and what do you predict will happen in 2024 that will surprise people i'm struggling a little bit with this one i've written three things down one of them is and this is very much sitting on the fence trump trump will or won't win the election i hadn't quite (laughs) i hadn't quite made my mind up as to which side as to which which side of the fence i was going to come down on i think i might say i might say won't trump 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 won't win the u.s election but i had also written hung parliament question mark in the uk 
uh, and then I've written uh, sporting ones, but haven't haven't actually elaborated on that in my notes. One of them was going to be that Arsenal will win the Premier League as an Arsenal fan. I don't know whether that's surprising or not. Um, and the second one, going back to the going back to the Formula One, I think maybe 2024 we'll see Lewis Hamilton win that elusive mm-hmm. elusive title that will take him take him clear of everybody else. Well, that's a very considered and thoughtful trio. And now that you've finally come down on one side on Donald Trump, I can accept it. Uh, So thank you very much, Chris, for joining us today. I'm now delighted to be joined by Emily Lawford, who is one of our assistant editors. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you for having me. Um, So my first question is, what was your favourite prospect article from last year and why? My favourite prospect article from last year was probably David Aronovich's piece in our July issue, where he spent a couple of days at the National Conservative Conference. And I particularly enjoyed that because there were quite a few pieces coming out uh, in various publications about that conference and discussing the new right and, you know, where the energy is in modern right wing politics, you know, as as the Conservative Party is failing electorally where's where's the new grassroots when it re-emerges as i no doubt it will in the next decade yeah which people will be driving that what will be the driving forces so a lot of people were covering that yeah and so i was surprised by how much david aronovich's piece really stood out for me amongst those i thought it was brilliant it was funny it was great analysis it was clever and eloquent and it wasn't scaremongering as much as some of those other pieces it was more skeptical in a tone that I liked it felt fresh and I just thought it was really expertly done oh lovely and what event political or cultural surprised you this year well I think it surprised a lot of people which is the return of Lord David Cameron to frontline politics I never thought that would happen I don't think many people thought it would happen and what does it say about the Conservative Party? What does it say about how successful he's been in his post-Prime Ministerial life? I don't know, a lot, but I was surprised. What do you predict will happen in 2024 that will surprise people? England will win the Euros. Great. Well, I hope that happens. That'll be a bit of positive news for us. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining us. After the break, we'll talk more about what surprised people in 2023. But first, I'd like to tell you about a new seasonal subscription offer. We're discounting the price of an annual digital subscription by 50%. To take advantage of this great deal, please search for Prospect New Year Offer or visit subscribe.prospectmagazine.co.uk forward slash NY. Offer ends Friday 19th of Jan. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm delighted to be joined this afternoon by not only the art director at Prospect, but officially Prospect's nicest man in the office, Mike Turner. Hello. Thank you very much. That's nice. <laughs> and I know that other members of the office might be offended, but Mike is officially number one. Mike, what was your favourite prospect article from the last year and why? Um, there have been lots, and this sounds a bit lazy, but I'm going to have to say in the most recent issue, the Bellingcat piece by Tom Lamont, I found that to be very interesting, fascinating, in fact. It was a really good insight into investigative journalism and the dangers as well. I thought it was very insightful with Elliot Higgins talking about not eating free treats in hotels and things. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. And actually, for any listeners who are interested in the Bellingcat piece, there's also um, an earlier episode of this podcast um, with Ellen and Tom Lamont, and they're discussing in a little bit more detail about the story of Elliot, Elliot Higgins' Bellingcat um, and how he ended up doing some amazing things, unmasking assassins, upsetting yeah, Putin. Yeah, really ruffling the feathers of the kind of untouchables. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. From his tiny office in... Exactly, West. yeah. Yeah, really tiny, sparse, remote office. He seems to, yeah, really... Um, cause ripples yeah it's a really good podcast tom as well as being an excellent writer is a really excellent speaker so i'd really recommend people check that one out so a slightly harder question now mike what event political or cultural surprised you this year um well our government never ceases to surprise me um and on a on a downbeat note i think the general state of the world at the moment. I think humanity is, um, has surprised me in that what we still inflict on each other. Um, so yeah, it's very, not very optimistic time, I think. And what do you predict will happen in 2024 that will surprise people? 2024, well again, it's not very upbeat, is it? But I'm thinking due to all the obvious climate issues going on i think extinction extinction is going to be quite up there in the in the news i think we're going to start to see more threats of that in different different species um and also (laughs) i was going to say aliens (laughs) no go for it i think there's going to be some extraterrestrial happenings that's what i think i'm with you yeah i think Something's going to come to light, something's going to be emitted, or 
something will happen. Yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna find out more about the universe. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mike, for joining us this afternoon. You're welcome. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be joined by our head of engagement, Joe Murray. Although I am a little bit worried because Joe has a track record of predicting awful things happening and then them actually happening. So I'm nervous to hear what Joe might say this year. But first of all, Joe, what was your favourite article or podcast or event that Prospect did in the past year? I would have to say one that's actually recent. It was a Media Confidential podcast, which is a new podcast that Lionel Barber and Alan Rusbridger, our editor, have started. And there was an interview with Nick Davies, who, as some might know, wrote the story of phone hacking after years and years and years of dog. And he uncovered sort of industrial-wide phone hacking across the media industry. And he spoke to Alan Rusbridger, our editor, and Lionel Barber, former editor of the Financial Times, in an early December episode about what he heard in court, um, extraordinary new allegations that Rupert Murdoch's media empire had allegedly engaged in corporate espionage against senior members of the British government in order to push through Murdoch's takeover of B Sky B. It's just, I read all the court documents and it's just extraordinary the lengths that they went to to hack phones. And it's also really interesting that the phone hacking continued even during the Leveson inquiry. It was simply astonishing. Who would have thought that at the point that Leveson was sitting, phone hacking was still going on? So I found not only is Nick Davies one of the most incredible investigative reporters, he is of taking on huge stories and of holding power to account. Mm. To hear him articulate the story that he broke many years ago and which the consequences are still being felt now was truly a remarkable interview. Yeah. Amazing. And didn't Alan discover in the course of recent events that he himself had been a target for not necessarily phone hacking, but for some kind of tracking? Yes, yes. He found his name on the in the documents as being somebody that had also been um, hacked. Um, And I mean, not just I mean, you know, there are so many people. And when you think about it, you you wonder why it's not in every newspaper, in every, on every sort of digital media outlet. Yeah. Because it is so wide and deep, and yet there seems to be, uh, unsurprisingly, no appetite to cover the story mm. by others. Mm. And so that's something that I think, in a world where we are seeing the undermining of democracy, it's really troubling that, we not only hear about this sort of deep penetration of the British government by a media empire, but that we don't really see a huge amount of coverage either Mm. about it. Troubling. And Nick does say in the interview that, you know, Rupert Murdoch undermines and occasionally overthrows democratic elected government. And so this story really should be front of mind. Yeah. And 
let's see what the next year brings. And what events, political or cultural, has surprised you this year? So when I was 16, I saw a BBC programme, I think it was the BBC, Fortunes of War by Olivia Manning. It was the Balkan trilogy. Um, and Kenneth Branner and Emma Thompson played Harriet and Guy Pringle. And I absolutely loved the drama. I yeah. thought it was amazing. And so I always sort of followed Kenneth Branagh's sort of career from yeah. that point. And I hadn't really shown a great interest in Shakespeare at that time. I'd done a little bit of it at school, but not much. Yeah. And so I decided to go um, and watch Kenneth Branagh in a Shakespeare and now it was either Hamlet at the Barbican or it might have been, I can't actually quite remember the first one that yeah. I saw. But I went and I loved it. And I loved it because it spoke to me and I understood it. And it's very rare, that, and I hadn't read, read the play, and it's very rare that you, especially with something like Shakespeare, that you immediately get it. Yeah. And yeah. I did. And the reason I got it was because of the way that he performed it. Yeah. And I have charted his career ever since and I mean there are very 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 fine actors and actresses that of course play Shakespeare but I've never forgotten the way in which he and his acting made me understand it helped me understand it and I I have loved it ever since and you know Henry V much ado about nothing I went to see um, him as I said in Hamlet and really uh, for me, it opened up a world of Shakespeare that actually made me realise it's much, much more accessible than people give it credit yeah. for often. And it just covers everything from tragedy, loss, jealousy, etc. Wonderful. So I also was fascinated because he set up a company called the Renaissance Theatre Company with a man called, I think, David Parfit, by which they tried something quite new, which was having an actor managers. So mm. I think they had... Uh, Judy Dench directing, Derek Jacobi directing, Gerald G. McEwen was directing, mm -hmm. Kenneth Branagh was directing. And it was a really interesting sort of way of directing and acting, which I don't know had been done like that in that way before. And that also fascinated me. How can you direct and if you yeah. act, how can you do that? And so I um, have always admired him. And I went to see King Lear recently, of course, and thought it was incredible. Again, I hadn't read the book. I have read the, the notes, as you do. So I sort of knew what it was about. But I went and I was just blown away by it for all the reasons that I've given before yeah. as to why he's always made Shakespeare accessible and, and really enjoyable and moving. And so I was disappointed, Sarah. <laughs> And I, I remember, so Joe. I remember when you came into the office fuming. I was disappointed <laughs> to read some reviews about the production and the performance. And I thought, it really, they genuinely didn't speak to me. Now, I am, as you know, I am very sort of honest and mm. sort of say what I, you know, if I... If it's not something that I think is very good, then I would say yeah, so. But would. I genuinely, I was sitting in the audience. I was absolutely mesmerised, captivated. I thought the scenery was amazing. I thought the actors and actresses were incredible. And a few people were sort of like in um, 
not naming names, of course. (laughs) (laughs) But there were a few that sort of indicated that he basically was taking centre stage for himself. One complained that, you know, the pronunciation was too clear. That's not, exactly, that's not exactly the words that was okay, used, yeah. but it indicated yeah, yeah. that actually it was a bit overpronunciated, and that he seemed to be trapped in his own sort of private bubble on stage. And for me, none of that was what I saw. Yeah. And it just seemed really mean. Mm. And what I saw was somebody, a fine actor, um, who is a master at Shakespeare and who had got a cast. He, I think, is president of Radar, um, very prestigious. And obviously, actors and actresses, particularly during the COVID years, you know, they did not have opportunities no. that others before would have had. Yeah. And so the cast was hugely diverse, a young cast. Yeah. Um, it was... A cast which, I mean, the, the day that I went to see it, you know, I think it, did, it was almost the first day it had opened, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, there was something much more to it than than the critics, than some critics, yeah. than the number of stars that they gave. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not an expert in Shakespeare. I haven't studied Shakespeare. But as an ordinary punter, I loved yeah. it. And I thought it was brilliant. I thought he was brilliant. I thought the cast was brilliant. brilliant yeah. But obviously I am open to all views and <laughs> I read them all and I respect them. But I don't agree with them. Yeah, well done. Well done, Kenneth Banner and cast, <laughs> may I say. <laughs> I'm so glad you've had the opportunity to say it on the podcast because I know it's been something that's been bothering you for quite a while. I'm getting over it now. <laughs> <laughs> and our final question. <clears throat> and as I said earlier, I am nervous. To ask you this, because you have an uncanny ability to get it right, but what do you predict will happen in 2024 that will surprise people? Uh, Well, to be honest, Sarah, nothing will surprise me, Mm. really. One thing is for sure, um, is that without tackling climate change in a meaningful way, the surprises, I mean, will be totally out of our control. We all have choices, and if we live in a world where we choose to do nothing um, because it suits our lives to maintain the status quo, then, I mean, bluntly, we won't have lives to lead. Mm-hmm. It's starting now. We can see the changes. The world can see the changes. It is, and it will affect everything. Geopolitics, war, immigration, food, health. So something surprising is going to happen yeah. without question, but it's impossible to tell what that is going to be and I think that is why the world and society feels incredibly uncertain at the moment it feels almost as if we're on a knife edge of Mm. something and I'm not sure what that is thank you so much Joe, for joining us Thank you. So I'm now absolutely delighted to be joined by our arts and books editor, Peter Hoskin. Hi, Sarah. Pete, my first question for you is, what's your favourite prospect article from this year? Okay, so this is really embarrassing (laughs) because my favourite prospect article, or I should say articles of the year, are ones that were written by you. And so I'm a tremendously big fan of your 
Sarah Collins's Mindful Life column in the magazine. This is in our live section. And basically you're writing about mental health from your perspective as someone who has OCD. But I also find it's kind of broader than that. And gosh, I don't want to massage your ego, but I think for for the listener's benefit, what, what I find really impressive about your column is that I think it's easy to write about certain subjects like mental health, or I think poverty is a good example of this, in a sort of sort of default powerful way that's kind of sad it's black and white photography it's impactful and we all say oh gosh isn't that sad and but actually that way of writing about it's often a cliche so it relies on cliches or it relies on sort of sort of attention seeking ticks and that kind of thing and i think for most readers they just gloss over it it's like oh here's someone more or less i hate to say the word but more or less moaning about their mental health or their their whining about poverty or you know that kind of thing and i think for for most readers it sort of triggers that and i think the glorious thing and the really genuinely difficult thing to do that you manage to do with your writing is um to write about mental health in a way that's not only powerful and insightful and educational and all of those good things but is like funny basically uh it's funny it's elegant the writing is just supremely good prose um and i think also your column has the things that all the best columns have which i is that i get a sense of you like sorry this is this is really awkward but um, but like i get a sense of you over time and i think like if i read a year of your columns it's also a year of your life and i kind of appreciate that i th- i think the columns a, a good column is an insight into its author and i think that's what you give as well as an insight into mental health but can i turn the microphone around given yeah. that this is just an awful awkward situation for me and i just want you to talk your column i i just want to ask you a few questions about it one is basically do you have any fear about it? I have so much fear. I can't express how much fear I have. I find writing the column to be basically an exercise in exposure therapy of my worst fears. What are people going to think? What are they going to say? Am I just whining? Is this just rubbish? And also, am I exposing too much myself? So I feel so much fear. And I also feel some regret about my column this year that I hope I will change next year which is I think although I have written about some of the more dark moments in my own journey with OCD I find that I naturally steer away when I'm writing my column from the darkest moments and that they are important to write about when you're writing about mental health. I find it terrifying and I think I've still got a bit of a way to go in working out how I do that. Pete my second question for you which political or cultural event has surprised you this year um okay so i think last year i should say my answer to this was definitely a cultural event which was um top gun maverick (laughs) i was surprised by quite how good that film was uh i think you have another similar answer in that sort of similar vein to that for this year And, and nothing really stood out like I'd love to be able to say that Barbie was a surprise, for example. Mm. But actually, it's a Greta Gerwig movie. Yeah. I, I think she's great, you yeah. know, and, and all the people attached to that. It didn't surprise me that that was kind of such an arch, brilliant piece of work. Um, so I've gone in a totally different direction this year, and I and I'm fear I might sound kind of quite worthy. Um, but I'm going to go with it. So my surprise for this year is Hong Kong. And the fact that it just seems to me that it's not spoken about mm. at all. And I should say as well, like, in some ways, this doesn't surprise me. So we have the protests, 
2019, 2020, roughly. And we know why they ended. So they ended because COVID. Um, very good reason not to be meeting up in big groups at the time. China introduced its national security law, which basically clamped down on all this stuff. And also since then, we've had Ukraine and more recently Israel. So like the kind of the the foreign coverage pages of newspapers already have plenty to write about. So on one level, I understand it. I'm not surprised. Yeah. On another level, I sort of, I, I thought, how can I gauge how little we're talking about Hong Kong? So I went on BBC website and there's a tag that they attach to some of their coverage, which is basically Hong Kong protests. Mm. They've kept that tag going um, since since the protests in 2019-20. Uh, and you can click on it and sort of see their coverage in that area. Um, and, and there have been some stories this year. And, and maybe there's a more broad Hong Kong. This is not like scientific, yeah. but I, I just wanted to kind of capture what I feel intuitively. And for the BBC... I clicked on the more stories Hong Kong protests yeah. tag and I think for 2023 there must have been about speaking you know here, here we are at what the beginning of December middle of December um, there must have been um, I don't know 25 stories for the year and there was a gap between May 2023 and December 2023 mm -hmm. no stories with that sort of tag category on it and Okay, unscientific, all the rest of it. But I just feel even so that we're not talking about it. And the the reason I found that quite surprising is that the state of Hong Kong is is terrible, frankly. That there have been some scenes this year. So there was the first allowed protest. And by allowed I mean permitted by effectively by China. Yeah. That happened earlier this year. And the the sort of the news and imagery out of that was utterly absurd. So if you remember back to the big protests yeah. a few years ago, huge. Tens of thousands of people on the streets, uh, young graffiti, masks, you know, all of it. Everything that we expect of a big, major, angry protest. The one earlier this year, there were 100 people allowed, literally 100 people. That were the number that was allowed. They were rigorously marshaled and police. Placards were checked in advance. And also, I, I, I must admit, I, I forget quite what it was about, but it was not about democracy, freedom of speech, China, the state, all of that. And to hear about this and to see some of the sort of imagery coming out of that, it's it's chilling, mm -hmm. frankly. And I think there's still stories of, there's a, at least some like 250 major activists. And, and when we say activists, I, I should put that in quote marks, actually. Yeah. Some of them are what we would call activists and they're um, being activists in a very good cause. Um, but some of them are teachers, professors, yeah. librarians, students, very, very normal people who's normal lives have been classed as activism they've been locked up you know and they're still in prison hopefully now i mean something that might trigger a slight renaissance in the coverage is that the trial of um jimmy Lai, sorry who is one of the most sort of prominent he's a news magnate i guess you could call him he's made money off other businesses as well but um that that trial is expected to last 80 days and it's expected that china will come down very hard on this guy who's in his 70s and so hopefully there'll be some sort of coverage but Having said all that, I just don't think we really talk about Hong Kong anymore. Mm. And I and I feel that this country that, whatever you might want to call it, this island that um, was once a kind of very arm's length offshoot of China has become entirely controlled yeah. in a very, very chilling way. I think that's a really good one. An awful, harrowing one, but a really good one. And my final question is, what do you think will happen in 2024 that will surprise people? 
Okay, so my last... Sorry, I keep referring back to my last set of predictions. I think my last answer for this in for 2020 in the podcast we did last year was a bit of a coward's way out, but also I think I came out of it looking quite good. <laughs> so I think I said that more or less that something big would happen in social media. I also gave some examples in my defence. So I think this is wrong. I think I said something like, Apple will enter the social media market. I think I also said some things about Facebook would do something to change its business approach. I I, I forget what I said, but it was sheer genius because we saw some big things happen in social media. So, you know, we saw Facebook and threads and all that kind of stuff and and sort of all the sort of convulsions over Twitter. I'm joking it, by the way, it wasn't genius, but but I think all this is by way of a preamble to saying that I'm going to say something equally vague that I also think is equally right uh, for this year. And it's also equally techy. So I think the big tech moment actually wasn't social media in 2023. The big tech moment was AI. Yeah. And we had that great chat GPT moment where it's like, oh God, this stuff is real. Yeah, you know, yeah. And it's coming for our jobs. It's coming for our lives. It's coming for society. It's coming for how we do everything. And it's it's impressive. It's you know threatening. It's whatever you want to say about it. But it's big and it's here. I think we're going to have a similar moment for that next year for what what are often called BCIs. And what is BCI? Brain-computer interface. So basically, this is the, it's almost like cybernetics. It's the idea that you can have little processors and chips and computers plugged into your brain and they will make you cleverer or more able or compensate for some deficiency in some way. I think this is a realm, it's not new, so it's been going on for years, literally. And it's, um, you know, I think there have already been some tremendous gains in this area. Like, I I don't think I'm wrong in saying, you know, people who couldn't move an arm can move an arm yeah. because of wiring in their arm and their brain. You know, like it, things have happened already in this area. Um, I feel that 2024 might be a sort of watershed moment for it. Thanks so much to Pete for joining us and to the whole team. And for listeners at home, grab a copy of our latest issue of Prospect magazine, which includes Samuel Moyne on America's unravelling, Sam Friedman on 13 years of Tory failure, Rowan Moore on whether Harold Macmillan could solve today's housing crisis, and Sheila Hancock on why she's agitating for revolution. Have a happy new year and see you in 2024. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.